Hello and welcome to this FT Advisor in Focus podcast about the state of the advisor nation 10 years on from the RDR. The Retail Distribution Review was implemented on 31st of December 2012, bringing with it a host of new rules and changing the advisor market forever. One consequence of the new rules, which banned commission payments to advisors on retail investment products, was an exodus of advisors, particularly from banks. The ADR also introduced new qualification requirements for advisors, all in the name of making the industry more professional. So, 10 years on, how has the market fared? With me here to discuss the state of the advisor market 10 years after RDR is Rachel Fennessy, founder of Aspire Executive Search, Edward Grant, Director of Technical Connection at St. James's Place, and Amy Austin, News Editor of FT Advisor, who has reported extensively on this market. Hello all. Thanks for joining us today. Um, it's been 10 years of the RDR. Can you believe it? Um, Eddie, can you remember that time before the RDR came in? How did you feel about what was about to happen? Well, the year before the RDR came in, I was uh, president of the Personal Finance Society. So a lot of our focus was on the members of the society at a time when the uh, consultancy firms told us there would be a, a massive reduction in the number of advisors. Um, at the same time as a lot of advisors were worrying how they would get through their qualifications. So um, from, from my perspective, I actually was helping a lot of advisors get through those qualifications. So I, so I sought time out to actually set up a training company to, to help them through diploma. Um, and uh, when I look at a number of people as I travel around today, a number of people sort of remind me of the time when, when I was helping them get through their qualifications. And I think what happened was there was a bit of a red herring around qualifications. And what we're seeing now sort of 10 years on is, um, is the issue around uh, business structures and, and, and everything else. So, so for me, um, you know, lots of predictions of doom and gloom but actually, what we've seen is a is a is a profession that's really thriving. Mm-hmm. And how? And you personally, do you remember? I mean, there were obviously lots of different um, opinions out there. But how? What was your attitude towards the RDR before before it happened? So, from a from a personal point of view, um, when I joined the profession thirty plus years ago, um, I sat next to Robert Reed. Um, in uh, the Royal Insurance Office, and he was doing qualifications, and I, I was sitting next to him wondering what he was doing, and I started to do the qualifications that he was doing. So for me, the qualifications bit, I think, was a really positive, a really positive attitude towards it. Um, and I think that what we've seen is the, the profession, the RDR for me, was all about professionalising an industry. So I think, for, for me, it was really positive, and I think that... Um, uh, a lot of the predictions that the Personal Finance Society had with Faye Goddard 10 plus years ago have pretty much come true that the, the industry would turn into profession and thrive. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Rachel? What were your expectations of the RDR at the time? Well, at the time, we were doing a lot of work with the banking sector. Um, and it was really interesting because the advisors that we were dealing with, we were getting this, like we obviously knew that they had to take the qualifications and there was a lot of um, procrastination about it and speaking to advisors who knew that this deadline was coming up, but they weren't doing what they needed to, to, to get themselves ready and qualified so that they could continue giving advice. 
And we noticed in the 12 months sort of leading up through 2012, there was a little bit of a um, sort of a pullback on recruitment because businesses weren't too sure how things were going to pan out for them and they didn't want to take anyone who wasn't level four. So there was that pushback on that side of things while businesses figured out their ongoing strategies. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting, especially about the banks. As we, we'll discuss some um, numbers later, but bank advisors mm-hmm. dropped um, dramatically in the first year of RDR or in the, in the year mm-hmm. leading up to the RDR. Um, yeah. And how, and Rachel, how did you experience the first years, kind of of the regulatory change? We still had the um, Financial Services Authority then. The FCA only came in in 2013. How do were your expectations met of the of what the RDR might be like, or were there any concerns that? Um, immediately started to form um really it was a transitionary period i'm with eddie that it's been a really positive thing for the consumer and for the industry and the quality of advisor now like someone can't be a financial advisor if they haven't committed to doing the qualifications and the training and and invested in themselves and their own development which means they're giving great advice to their clients so it, it has done what it set out to, and, and there's obviously been repercussions of that, which we'll discuss more at length. But yeah, it's it's done what it intended to. So I, I yeah, my expectations were met with it. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Eddie? In the, in the early years, did you um, were your expectations met? Was it was it exactly how you thought it was going to pan out? So I'm pleased to say yes, because um, you know the belief that the industry the what was becoming a profession wasn't going to implode and it didn't implode i think it's really positive and you know having been in the profession for over 30 years i've seen you know the introduction of fact finds i remember when you know everyone was upset about having to do more detailed fact finds at the time um so commission disclosure was another hurdle people had and i think what we see what we see often is a lot of fear about the implementation of uh new initiatives i think that the, there is a lot of transition and I think never underestimate the the sheer change that companies had to make when RDR came in Um, but then what we saw is people getting to grips with it and quite quickly in a very entrepreneurial profession very quickly the advisor market adapted and uh, and clients were quite you know generally quite comfortable with what was happening um, and, you know, contrast that with, you know, with my background with the Charter Insurance Institute, contrast that with the general insurance industry who are sort of going through an RDR phase now in disclosure. Um, you, know, you know, there is a, always a fear about what's likely to happen when these changes occur. But actually for, for RDR and financial services, um, I think it's been really positive, predominantly because the advisory market is incredibly entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But nevertheless, though, we did see a lot of advisors leave in the early in the early stages. Um, we had some figures out in March 2013 um, from the Financial Services Authority at the time um, that showed that the number of IFAs and tied advisors operating on the first day of the RDR, so that was the 31st December 2012, was 20% lower than on the same day a year earlier. And the number of bank advisors fell by forty four percent. So advisor numbers fell roughly by forty uh, fell roughly from about forty thousand in uh, twenty eleven at the end of twenty eleven to thirty one thousand um, 
or if you look at just financial advisors, excluding stockbrokers, etc., um, they fell from a population of about 25,000 to about 20,000. It's quite a big drop. Um, Amy, you've been doing a lot of number crunching. Can you can you give us an overview of um, of how the advisor population has changed since then? Yeah, so a couple of months ago, I decided to have a look into this, um, purely, well, simply because I... I've always noticed that I speak to advisors who are a lot older than me. Um, so thought, you know, there might be a problem going on here. Um, so I submitted a freedom of information request to the uh, FCA. Um, I think I got it back in about July. And it showed that, you know, of around 30, it was around 31,200 individuals authorised to provide retail investment advice. And 74% of these were over the age of 40 and only 8% were under the age of 30, which is just, you know, not great. And then in addition to that, only 426 advisors in the UK are under the age of 25 compared to about 4,800 who are over the age of 60 and, you know, really should be thinking about retirement or, you know, selling their firm. So it kind of showed me that there really aren't enough young advisors coming up to take over from older advisors. Um, and this might be a problem that the RDR has kind of created um, and it may not have, like, you know, people may not have known that this was going to be the case. Um, I mean, the problem, you know, is slightly less acute in the mortgage industry uh, where 12% of about uh, 35,800 individuals um, are under the age of 30. So it's definitely a younger market. But yeah, the kind of, you know, the pensions and investment advice is a lot older. Um, so yeah, there's definitely something to think about there. Mm -hmm. And um, what could the industry look like in like 10 to 15 years time if, if this goes on? Yeah, the people I've kind of spoke about this, um, we were talking about it in general and we were saying, you know, if this, if something isn't done now or very soon, you know, we're going to have a great exodus of advisors leaving the market, you know, and just not enough people to kind of take over the reins because, you know, for example, you know, you've got these people who are 60, 65, 70, still advising, you know, the, one day the the day will come where they're going to, you know, want to go on holiday, enjoy time with family, not be advising, you know, each and every day. And if they haven't got these young people in their firm up and coming and able to just take over the reins, you know, that's an, that's an advisor we've lost from the market. Um, and if this is happening in firms across the country, then the advisor population is just going to dwindle. Um, and yeah, people aren't just aren't going to be able to get access to advice. And, you know, at a time we're in at the moment, it's kind of I think it's really shown how valuable advisors can be to people. Um, so that's definitely a big problem if that's if something isn't done sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, it looks like we've still got the kind of older brigade, but there isn't there isn't much coming in um, on a younger side. Why do you think that is, Eddie? Just to want to pick up on, on an Amy, Amy's point. Um, so we did our uh, technical connection future of financial planning report and it actually supported some of what you're saying. 87% of the, the advisors, and that was 200 firms, 87% of them said they didn't have an exit plan. So um, I think a lot, a lot of companies are, are not actually dealing with the issue. 
Um, and I think if you look at the, the history, and I'll come back to your, your question, you look at the history, traditionally insurance companies created the advisor, the older advisor. So if you go back and ask where do those older advisors come from, they came from the insurance companies. Um, then the next wave, the RDR wave, was effectively the, the advisor from the banks coming over to the, to the non-bank sector. I think now there's a real need for advisory firms to pick up the mantle and start to create their own pipeline of, of individual advisors going forward. I think that's really, really important. And historically, they haven't done that. They haven't invested in the, the next generation. They've always taken from somewhere else. And that, I think, is going to be the, the big challenge. I know it's obviously at St. James's Place for 10 years. We've had our academy. We've had 1,000 people through it. Um, and uh, for, for us, you know, that's a massive investment. So the challenge is how does the sector, how does it actually start investing in the future pipeline? Um, and, uh, and I think that's going to be absolutely key. So your, your research and our research basically does, does absolutely match. So come back to your question. Could you remind me of, of the question? Yeah, I suppose you've partly answered it. But what, what I mean, what has it? It, it seems it seems that it's fair to link this back to RDR. Yes. Um, what what has it? Is it an unintended consequence? Have we have we just um, should we have noticed this earlier? Should this have been dealt with um, in the way other things were in the kind of early years? So I think the the, the key when I started thirty years ago, there were two hundred thousand advisors. So we're now down to the sort of 30,000. So the question is, do, did we need those 200,000? You had people who would get up in the morning, do one job, and then go around and become a financial advisor in the afternoon. They could, they could you, know, you know, leave one job on a Friday and start being a financial advisor on, on a Monday and advise. So we're a long, long way away from that. So I don't think anyone's asking to go back to those days. Um, I also think that what obviously RDR did with that drop of 20% that you referred to is you had a lot of people who just decided they were going to retire. So you bring forward retirement. We were always seeing, you know, 5 10% of advisors retiring. We just brought forward, you know, two or three years of people who decided, well, just, what's the point in doing a whole load of exams if I'm going to leave the industry? So they left early. Um, they didn't necessarily, they left advising. They didn't necessarily leave the profession, what they did is took a different role. So I think, you know, some became power planners, some became development managers, prospecting for new clients for the advisory firm. So they've deregistered as advisors, but they haven't actually all left. So, so, I, so I think that, that actually we need to sort of ask ourselves, what are people doing? It's, you know, it's, it's an easy thing to look at the number of advised people, um, but actually what are they doing? And what I'm seeing now, if I look at businesses, what you have are people doing different roles. You have far more power planners today than, than you had 10 years ago. You have far more people in the firm prospecting for new business, not advisors, simply prospecting, looking for opportunities, building relationships with accountants, solicitors. So actually, I think the, what we should do is look at how many people are in the advisory firms and has that grown. And, and, and I haven't seen those numbers, but my sense is, that that has actually grown quite significantly if you take everything, not just the advisor numbers, but you take the whole firm and look at it more holistically. Mm -hmm. Rachel, you work in recruitment. You're quite a specialist um, when it comes to 
advisor recruit, recruitment and kind of explaining where people are going and what's happening um, in, in that side of the industry. What, what do you think about, um, about those um, figures that Amy presented? Yeah, 100% in agreement with them um, that I, I know of those figures. And yeah, she's right with her research. Obviously, the facts are the facts. I mean, we went before RDR, we as a business used to place lots of trainee advisors. So we had a, a particular side of the business that just placed trainee advisors into um, the banks. And with RDR, that was one of the breeding grounds that was removed. So we had the loss of the life companies prior to that. And then the banks went. And SJP, Eddie's obviously been talking about what SJP have been doing, but they were actually the only ones who over the last few years have invested into training advisors. Quilter are in it now as well, which is great that two are, but there hasn't been the investment into it. And it's something that we've been championing that there's a, a need here that isn't being met for the trainee advisor role um, and businesses do need to invest into it. But it's interesting that Eddie was saying there about how there's way more power planners now than there were 10 years ago. And that's actually a route for people to go into an advice role because they're going through the, the kind of ranks and building their technical knowledge, their qualifications, and then going through that channel to go into advice. Um, so in terms of sort of the recruitment space, that there needs to be more businesses investing into the trainee advisor role and, and models to organically grow with exit strategies, looking at bringing people in at a more junior level who can work with an experienced advisor who's nearing retirement so that they're there knowing the client base ready to take it on when the advisor chooses to take their retirement. And, and, and we do a lot of work in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, have I answered your question there? Yeah, no, absolutely. But what? How has how has your work changed in the last ten years? If you say you were recruiting, you had these bank advisor, this bank advisor avenue. How's how's your work changed since? So we had to really change our business model with RDR because we were working in that banking space. And actually, so I mentioned before the trainee advisors that we did a lot of work with they're obviously clients of today that have got their own client book and have grown and and developed but with um rdr we then had to circumnavigate the changes of the industry and progress to supporting the independent marketplace so helping bank advisors who had qualified make the transition into the independent space and helping um businesses who wanted to absorb those clients because we've also got here when the bank banking the bank assurance model was removed from the sector then you've got all of those clients who therefore haven't been getting advice and so they were needing to transition over to the independent offering or obviously restricted but the independent side of things so we have built over the last decade a different model whereby that's the side of the marketplace that we focus on uh, working with advisors who've got AUM and and where they want to take their clients, what suits their clients. Um, so so yeah, we had to transition with with the market as you do. That's you have to go with the the changes, don't you, and adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now looking forward, um, and something that um, Amy has alluded to, you know, if 
if the situation doesn't change, um, very soon we could more or less run out of advisors. Are you are you seeing more new avenues where you know for advisors to come through um, into the advice space, or what's um, what's the recruitment landscape like at the moment? Not not enough. <laughs> no, there's not enough. There's SJP and Quilter are the only big ones that are doing anything. Um, there's not enough. There's not enough replenishment. We have got a growing issue because it's a diminishing marketplace. Three fifths of the current advisor population are due to retire over the next 10 years. So that's looming. And we certainly don't have that proportion of advisors coming into the market. Um, So the more we can beat the drum about how to... Businesses should be even going back to schools and and really selling financial services and the the advisor role as a career prospect because it's a great industry. Mm-hmm. You know, businesses, other sectors have had really challenging times, but financial services we've we've been great. And you know, I always I don't want to jinx anything, but it's such a strong market with so much opportunity, so much flexibility for people to grow their own career whether they want their own business or they want to be part of a bigger business there's so much opportunity and and that isn't being marketed enough to attract those younger people people coming out of university and wanting to progress and qualify um that's where the attention needs to be so that we're bringing that talent in Mm -hmm. what do you think um eddie so if if, so coming back to sort of the numbers i mean our, our report said uh about 60% of the advisors we spoke to don't believe they'll be advising in uh, in the next 20 years. So if we roll forward, so there's definitely a, a, a problem. Um, and, and obviously St. James's Place is doing a lot to, to, to bring in a new generation. We've, we've looked at uh, ex-professional uh, uh, sports people. So we've had 66 of them join our academy and uh, 29 from the military. So we're looking at new avenues. We're doing work with uh, universities, um, we have uh, different academies and we have, we, in my world, we have a technical academy um, where we rotate apprentices around the business so they get a really good grounding of different, uh, different uh, opportunities in the, in the business and then they move over, some move over to uh, go to the advisory firms and the partnership. So what, we're, what we are seeing is you need to have lots of different places of people, the traditional route um, it doesn't work anymore. So lots of different avenues, and that's something that we're, we're particularly looking at. I think if you think about it in the context also of the government and levelling up, the, the, the advisory market is fantastic for levelling up the technology now where people can, can work from all over the country. Um, you know, it, it's absolutely aligned to what the government's also wanting to do. So I think that there's, there's definitely opportunity for, for firms to actually have advisors all over the country linking up with technology. So, so I think that COVID's actually sh- sh- given us a lot of uh, insights to how we can um, actually look after our clients um, and recruit different people from different backgrounds. And we're doing a lot of people with second careerists as well. So I think, um, as I said, not just one not just one route, which is traditionally, you know, from the insurance companies, from the banks, we have to be a little bit more innovative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I guess this is something that you've heard as well, Amy, right? That people are coming from all walks of life into the advice profession these these days. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the academies are doing a good job. Um, and, you know, there are new academies open up, like M&G Wealth has only been operating for a year. So there's definitely more of the bigger firms thinking about, you know, kind of getting more people into the market. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, it needs to start small. You know, you need to go into colleges, you need to go into schools, you need to go into universities and tell people that actually this is what an advisor does because it might shock you to know that quite a few people could not tell you what a financial advisor actually does, you know. We watch programmes such as like Ozark on Netflix and that is absolutely not what a financial advisor does. And But people, you know, watch these shows and think, oh, yeah, that you know, that's what they have to do, you know, they... But basically, it's like an accountant and it's it's not. That's not what an advisor does. So I think there needs to be kind of more teaching around, you know, this sort of area, like what the career looks like. These are the perks, you know, flexible working. There's a good salary. You can kind of set your own hours. Um, and I think a lot more younger people would be a lot more interested in it. Um, that said, I do think that, you know, while the, the big networks out there are doing a great job, there needs to be a lot more support given to smaller firms because there's a lot I've spoken to that would love to take on an apprenticeship but just simply do not have the capacity to do so or, you know, there's concerns that you, they'll train them up, they'll put them through their exams, they'll, you know, kind of invest all this money into them and then a big network, you know, with their shiny perks and, you know, the big kind of, you know, everyone likes to work for a bigger firm, um, snaps them up or, you know, like kind of they just drift off to somewhere else and then it's like that investment is just gone and then that advisor is then put off from doing it again. Um, so I think there needs to kind of be, you know, more training around, you know, the smaller firms and just what, what can be done. Um, I mean, apprenticeships, they're a fantastic way of getting school leavers into the advice profession. My brother's an advisor. He got in through an apprenticeship and he's, what, 25 years old. So he is one of the young ones and he is in, like, advising on pensions and investments for high net, like, high net worth individuals. And I know people have said that they would not want an advisor who is young to help, you know, advise on their pension, which I can understand. But they are out there and they are doing a good job. So I think if we can kind of promote this and show that actually the younger generation is willing to learn, are willing to go into the advice profession, then I really think it could turn it around. I mean, if it stays like this, it's not going to work. So people are going to have to take a leap of faith and, you know, kind of invest in the younger generation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, to finish off, um, I'd just like to briefly talk about the ones that are still here so the advisors that are still operating 10 years after RDR Eddie you're responsible for professional development at HJP um, looking at the advisors that are still here to what extent have they changed for the better is the industry really that much more professional has the RDR achieved its aims when it comes to making this industry more professional I think the first thing is if you take the continuous professional development um, and and bring in the, the 35 hours, um, obviously it's it's got people to think about their personal development. I think we see we saw initially it was all technical, technical, technical. Um, what we're seeing now is far more soft skills being brought into it, and I think that's probably if there was a failing of RDR from my perspective, it was it was too much focused on technical qualifications and not enough on 
on the soft skills. And naturally, if you think about vulnerability and all the, the, the associated issues, cost of living, everything else, then, 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 then actually it's the soft skills. The thing, actually, the non-financial benefits of financial advice that are so important, and we're seeing that really being played out now. Um, what, we, what we saw um, was that a lot of people decided they wanted to go beyond the benchmark. So they got their diploma. Some thought it was actually a really good experience. They, they learned something. They could add value, additional value to their client. So they went on to chartered and fellowship. And, and we've got a, a, an MBA that we set up with the University of Gloucestershire and an MSc in finance. Um, so we have, a, you know, we have encouraged a lot of people to, to, to go beyond the, the, the benchmark qualification. We now have 1,100 chartered advisors within St. James's Place, which I'm responsible for. So actually, you know, it's been fantastic to see people um, want to go further, not stop at benchmark. And I see, you know, and what, what we're also seeing is the development of other things like cash flow planning, which is now, you know, far more important today in the advice process than it was. So, I, so what I saw was really a industry become a profession, people wanting to push themselves further, um, if you take the you know the personal finance society awards um, you know they have over the last 12 plus years they have really uh, flourished and it's great to see you know people wanting to to be recognized not just because they have recommended the most but actually because they have um, you know got this more holistic um, qualities um, and uh, and technically sound but also have the other required qualities to be an advisor. So I think that what we have seen is a lot of personal development and that I think is is a real reflection of of the changes from the retail distribution review. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, do you agree has the caliber of candidates that you are working with changed significantly in the last 10 years? Absolutely. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um and I'm with Eddie as well that you know the numbers that are progressing to chartered and fellow and actually enjoying the learning journey is pre-RDR it was seen more as a um, a have to do for for the majority and now it's so much more common that, that I, I don't know the fact the the actual figures but I know as a business that there's the proportion of chartered advisors that we work with is really high and that would not have been the case 10 years ago and um and I love what Eddie was saying there about the personal development I'm a huge proponent of it and the fact that there's more of a focus on the softer skills it's great and yeah it's the caliber of advisors who are committed to what they're doing and committed to giving great advice has definitely increased and improved over the last decade 100%. There is a sorry. There is a sort of another bit that I think RDR has done, is that people have really had to focus on their business. So, so actually, what we're seeing is you know a new generation of business owners. So, out of our academy, we've got six hundred and fifty-eight new businesses, partner practices, and actually, to run a business today uh, is a lot. Uh, I would say harder, but it's more complex today than than it was. It was always been hard. But I think it's more complex now when you think about regulation and all the different things you have to do and also think about technology. So actually what, what we've seen is is a lot of the business owners, you know, far more sophisticated in how they run their businesses. Um, often they have a, a, an operations manager in, in, the, in the firms um, because they can't do both. They can't be the, the lead advisor 
and also run the business because the business is far more complicated today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, thank you very much um, to all our guests for um, this really interesting discussion as we approach the 10th anniversary of the RDR at the end of this year. And thank you, Carmen. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.